Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! It's been a strange old time on planet Earth recently, so let's escape to find some calmness and incredible adventure because we're travelling through the universe in our Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. Welcome along. Thank you for listening, for following, for streaming. This is the podcast every week where we explore some of the amazing science secrets lurking through the solar system. This week, you can hear about a brand new app that lets scientists know exactly how elephants are feeling. Elephants are a really amazing species. They're really intelligent and they live really long lives. They can live up to 70 years. And so we think that it's really important that we look after them the best that we can in captivity. Also because, unfortunately, although it's great to see them in the wild, they're actually endangered, which means that they're dying out in the wild. Pretty soon we're not going to have them there. And so the places where we have them under human care will probably soon be the only places where we have elephants. Also, we've got a brand new series from Deep Space High, travelling to the smartest school in the solar system to find out about the jobs you can get in space. You could be a space lawyer, interpreting laws to help everyone agree how we should behave in space. Or helping to protect planets from human contamination, or maybe deciding what the rules are when rescuing stranded astronauts. And I've got your questions to answer this week. They are on trees getting sick and why we yawn. It's coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Harrison Ford, a famous movie character, he plays Indiana Jones, might be scared of snakes, but now he's got one named after him. A newfound species of snake in Peru has been named Tachymenides Harrison Fordy to honour the actor's work for the environment. Harrison Ford, who is the vice chair of the non-profit group Conservation International, called it humbling. It's not the first creature he's got. He's also got an ant and a spider named after him. I love it because... A lot of people want to be famous. They want fame, they want fortune, they want to be a star, but you can only really become legendary when you've got creatures named after you. Uh, what do you reckon about the Dan from the Fun Kids Science Weekly pigeon? I think that might go down quite well. Probably be quite lazy and flying. Anyway, also a big freeze previously unknown to science drove early humans from Europe for 200,000 years, new research has shown. Ocean sediments from just over 1 million years ago shows temperatures suddenly dropped more than 5 degrees C. And scientists say that our early ancestors couldn't survive that as they didn't have heating, they didn't have warm clothes, they had no radiators or a nice fluffy duvet. And this is strange because we used to think until recently humans lived in Europe for the last one and a half million years non-stop. But it turns out we actually took a little gap of 200,000 years before adapting and coming back to live and survive here. It's amazing, isn't it? The way that time works through history. 200,000 years is a long, long, long time, much longer than any society we can know or recognise. But these creatures, these types of humans, just went away for that time, came back 
and to us it's like the blink of an eye. Also, final commands were sent to Europe's Aeolus satellite on Friday to bring it out of the sky. The space laser, which was designed to map Earth's winds, re-entered our atmosphere over Antarctica. Now, any debris, any falling parts might have might have survived the fiery descent, would have fallen well out of harm's way. This was a British-built spacecraft. Its mission was hailed as success for brand new data it gave to weather forecasters looking several days ahead. Let's check in with Techno Mum then. I love Techno Mum. Uh, she's amazing. She's a brilliant mum. She does everything for you. She does mum stuff, but she's also a gadget genius. She knows everything about technology. And this week, we're checking out the exciting engineering with Tim and his mum, taking a trip to the supermarket to find out exactly how those, you know, those scanners work that go beep, 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 the ones that scan barcodes on something you're buying. Yeah, it's all about that. How do they work? Techno Mum with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing technology. Shopping, I'm not a fan. I'm only helping mum at the supermarket because I'm nice like that. Alright, and because mum said I'd have to clean the bathroom if I stayed at home. Still, we're nearly done. My favourite, the ice cream aisle. Oh, look, hang on, Tim. Can you grab the pink tub of ice cream? The ladies just put a sign saying they're on offer. Sure thing. Hang on. The barcode, the stripy strip on the ice cream, that has the price on, doesn't it? How does the barcode know this ice cream is on offer? A minute ago, it was one price. Now it's cheaper, but the lady hasn't changed the barcode. The price isn't on the barcode. The only things barcode stripes contain is information about where the ice cream came from, who made it, and what flavour it is. It's the shop's computer that decides what price goes with all that. Look, we're at the till now, so you can see how it works. Let's use the self-service one. Self-service tills are pretty cool. Mum sometimes lets me have a go. You swipe the barcode yourself and put the things in the bag next to the scanner. It goes bleep a lot. Look, you can see the sensors here in front of you. They're a mesh of red lasers. They bounce off the lines and the reflected light is converted into a digital message which is sent to the supermarket's computer as the product's name. The computer looks up the name and checks what other information the shop has added in. All the stuff that might change, like the price and if it's on offer. OK, here comes the ice cream. Strawberry ice cream. Special offer. The computer can log how many tubs of ice cream have been sold, too, and pass this information to the person who places the orders. So the barcode is just like the thing's name? Yes, think about it. You've got barcodes on your library card, too, and that just sits in your pocket most of the time. It's the computer at the library that knows if your books are overdue, which they probably are, knowing you. Oh, heck, I've totally forgotten about my library books. OK, what about this barcode on this magazine? It's square and dotty pretty weird. Oh yes, that's one of the newer types of barcode. It's called a 2D or QR code. It can hold a lot more information than the barcode, like website links and more words. You can't read it on these scanners though. Well, what's the point of that then? Well, these scanners can't read them, but mobile phones can. If you scanned it with your phone, you might be taken to a website with a cool competition or something. Look, that man hasn't paid for his shopping. He's just walking off. No, look carefully. He's using his credit card on one of the PayWave readers. It's called Near Field Communication, which just means you only need to get your card near the scanner for it to work. Yeah, but he didn't tap his number. 
He got it out, then pretty much put it away again. It only takes a second. The chip on his card has information about how much money he's allowed to spend, and radio waves allow the scanner to talk to the chip to take the right amount off to pay for the goods. So is it a bit like on the underground, when people rub their Oyster cards on the gates? Exactly the same. And the cool thing is mobile phones are started to carry the same technology, so in time you might not need a credit card at all. You'll just be able to wave your phone at the scanner and pay that way. Maybe shopping was more high tech than I thought and not quite as boring. Ooh, talking of offers, look, there's two cakes for one in the cafe. That's an offer I think we should definitely check out. Are we actually agreeing, Tim? Wonders will never cease. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. Let's do the best part of the show. I mean, it's a brilliant podcast filled with loads of incredible things, but this is my favourite because I get to turn into a science detective, do a lot of digging and find out the answer to your questions. The best way to leave them for me is as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app. Daria has done that. What you got? Hi, my name is Daria. I live in Lilongwe, Malawi. And my question for you is, why are yawns contagious? All right, Daria. Why are yawns contagious? Well, experts don't exactly know. They think it might... You know how they're contagious. When you see someone yawning, it makes you want to... Even talking about it, it makes you want to yawn, right? Well, experts don't probably know why this happens. They think it might have evolved through evolution to keep us on our toes and aware. If you need to be on guard, if you're living in a cave, perhaps, you're watching out for beastly predators. If you see someone else yawning, it might make you yawn and help you realise you're all a bit tired. So you need to be extra vigilant and aware because you need to be ready to go. Also, it could be to do with something called social mirroring. When you see someone do something, your brain thinks that might be a good idea too. Like when you see someone scratching their face, your face might get a little bit itchy. Maybe you're thinking there are bugs nearby. So you think your face needs scratching, so you do it. This is called social mirroring. And that might be why we yawn uh, after someone else has yawned too. We kind of have ideas, but experts don't properly know. But thank you so much for the question. Let's get another one on. This is from Gabby, who has sent a review on Apple Podcasts, who wants to know, why do trees get sick? Well, trees do get sick. Can you believe that? They look so big, broad and mighty, but they can get ill just like we do. Damage and injury can easily happen during a storm. And trees get diseases too especially if they're lacking in nutrients or water, just like us. Also, pests, bugs can plague trees and cause them to lose their bark and decay. Sometimes trees simply get too much water. If they're in a muddy or boggy area, they get too much water. It can go a bit uh, rank and stale while it's in there and that could decay. Maybe mould could set in and that's when trees start to rot. And when rot takes over a tree, it goes for it. It's very hard to save a tree that's got rot on it. Also, trees can get sick because of insects and mites that damage their leaves. Maybe fungi, local bacteria creeps in through bad soil and weeds. Animals like elephants and deer can damage trees by eating them. And trees have even got their own version of the cold. The most common one in trees is anthracnose, which attacks a tree's leaves, twigs, flowers and fruits. It kind of creeps in like you would get ill, but it's damaging the leaves and the twigs and the flowers, which is what the tree needs for sunlight, for oxygen to stay alive. So that's how trees get sick. 
Gabby, thank you so much for the question. If you have something you want answered next week on the Fun Kids Science Weekly, best thing, get to funkidslive.com, record a voice note using the big button there, or you can drop it as a voice memo to me on the free Fun Kids app. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, we love learning about how new technology can really help everything and everyone all across the world. Well, Dr. Lisa Yon is from the University of Nottingham who have designed an app for elephants. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Just tell us, how did this idea originally begin? Who piped up with their hand up and said, let's make an app that can track elephants? Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, And good morning to you as well. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. So the app was actually created as a follow-on of some work that we've been doing in collaboration with all of the UK zoos that have elephants. And we've been working to find a way to let the keepers that work with the elephants every day use their observations, what they see the elephants do, how they see them behave, as a way of judging their elephants' welfare. And so we'd already developed a tool which let them do that. But we thought, and I confess it was I who thought, oh, gee, it would be really great if we could develop some kind of an app which would let them do this even more quickly and more easily. And they wouldn't have to sit down and type all their answers into the computer uh, after three days of observations with little bits of paper. And so I thought it would be fast and easy, although it turns out it was a lot more complicated than I, as a complete newbie, realized. And it took more time and was a lot more effort and, and a lot more costly than I expected as well. So why elephants, Lisa? What, what, and, and also, do other animals have similar apps or is this a one-off? This is something brand new. I guess I'll answer the second question first, if I may, because the first one is a bit more involved. Um, there are more apps out there for different animals, but there there isn't anything elephant specific. And we thought that it was quite important. So we know that elephants are really big, really amazing animals, but they are big. And in the wild, you know, they live in really, really big spaces and they have these really complex social lives with members of their family and friends around them and that is really important to them. And so with an animal like that, that's so big and so complex, it can be really challenging to make sure that they have, you know, that they're happy in, in their environment. And so we wanted a way to let the keepers judge if that was the case. And and also people outside of the UK that also are looking after elephants in in zoos in in Europe or in the US, but also in facilities over in Southeast Asia, like in Thailand and Vietnam and Indonesia and, and across Southern Africa in Zimbabwe and South Africa, where they also have elephants in under human care. And and we wanted to try and, and find ways to help people look after their elephants by providing this tool. And you asked why elephants? Well, elephants are a really amazing species. As I already mentioned, they're really intelligent and they live really long lives. They can live up to 70 years. And so we think that it's really important that 
we look after them the best that we can in captivity. Also because, unfortunately, although it's great to see them in the wild, they're actually endangered, which means that they're dying out in the wild. Pretty soon we're not going to have them there. And so the places where we have them under human care will probably soon be the only places where we have elephants. I got really interested in elephants, ooh, maybe about, I think almost 30 years ago now, I went to Cornell University. And while I was there, I was fortunate enough, I was lucky enough to meet this amazing woman called Katie Payne. And Katie is a person who has devoted her life to studying elephants. And in particular, she studied, actually, she studied music before she studied elephants. And she studied communication in different animals. And then she got really interested in studying elephants and and has done some incredible work. She discovered how elephants use really, really deep sounds that are are below the frequencies, the sounds that, that we can hear as humans. So we don't even realize the elephants are making these sounds, but about a third of the sounds that they make are this, what's called infrasound, this very low frequency sound. And when I was talking to Katie, I said, oh, I, I'm really interested in wildlife. I'm not quite sure what I want to study. And she said, well, why don't you study elephants? There's so much we still don't know about them. And we talked and I started reading and learning a bit about elephants. And then I talked to Katie some more and read a little more. And before I knew it, I got really hooked because they really are just amazing animals. So there's a lot we don't know, but the app is all about what we do know. So what does the app look at? How are we telling, how are you telling zookeepers Uh, how the elephant's feeling? What does it point us to look out for? Right. So the app actually includes a bunch of different behaviors that we know are really important for for assessing welfare. We know from, from other studies that people have done, other research, that actually there are some behaviors that can tell us if an elephant's happy or not or how happy they are. So we look for things like the behaviors that they would do if they lived out in the wild, what's called natural behaviors, things like um, having positive social interactions with other elephants, touching them, playing with them, lying down to sleep with them, but also things like sleep behavior. How much do the elephants lie down to sleep? And thinking about how similar those behaviors are in, in zoos or in other captive settings, how similar they are to what elephants in the wild would do. But also looking at things that like abnormal behaviors. There's something called a stereotypy, this behavior that an animal will do over and over again that doesn't seem to have any reason behind it. And, and that usually tells us that the animal is either really stressed right now or was stressed at some point in the past. So it's important to, to kind of understand and, and watch out for those behaviors. So we're looking for different behaviors that tell us, is, is the elephant happy? Is it enjoying things? Does it have a good quality of life? Or, or maybe to help us figure out if something's wrong and, and that we need to, to change something to try and make them happier. And it's being used for the first time in the UK at Noah's Ark Zoo Farm with a few elephants there. Uh, How has it gone down? How are zookeepers finding it? How brilliant is it at tracking uh, elephants (laughs) and finding out how they're feeling? Yeah, so so, um, yes, Noah's Ark is definitely, they were one of the the very first adopters, very first people to use our app. There are a couple of other zoos that are also using it uh, in the UK and also in other places in the world. But we're very, very grateful to to Tom Lindley, who is the the senior keeper at Noah's Ark. He's the head of, of the elephant section, and he's been incredible 
incredibly supportive and, and very positive and encouraging about the app, but also about the tool that we created that the app was, was based on. Um, he said that it really helps him to watch behaviors and to understand what those behaviors mean. And, and he said once he started using the app, he said he'd never go back to using the paper tool again. It really saved a lot of time. And the app also, we've made some YouTube videos that kind of help guide people on how to use the app. And so hopefully that also makes it easier for them to to understand. It's a really exciting time. Well, I'm very excited to find out what happens next. Dr. Lisa Yon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Let's do this week's Dangerous Dan then, where we look at some of the most mean, strange and devastating things in the universe. This week, we're looking at one of the most violent birds around. The mute swan is one of many different types of swan. Looks like most of the swans you know too. A bright white body, thick feathers, a yellow beak carries itself with an elegant grace it glides over the water but mute swans especially the males are very territorial they protect their home and their area with force they don't want anyone else getting close to their patch of land and they can defend it well their bite is very powerful they don't have teeth but their beak is sharp and pointy when they want to be mean they can sink it into devastating effects they rise up they flap their wings they'll go straight for another creature's eye now the problem is It's a mute swan. As their name suggests, they don't make many noises. You don't get a warning signal or a cry for attack. You won't find anything. It just creeps up behind you or stares you straight on and then goes straight for an eye or it unleashes its fearsome, bitey beak on you, which is why the mute swan goes straight onto our Dangerous Dan list. Let's travel to the smartest school in the solar system then. This is a new series from Deep Space High. The brilliant students that are learning up there. We've got Professor Pulsar, we've got Quark, we've got Sam. It's called Space for All, this series. It's all about the different types of careers that are available in space exploration. Because as we move to the future and we're exploring more of space, there are loads of jobs that you can do, not just actually flying into space there's more than just being an astronaut in this episode we're finding out what sort of jobs you can get in space if you don't have a favorite subject in school deep space high space for all Just imagine us lot in the future. I wonder where we'll all be and what we'll be doing. Writing about missions, planning the trajectories of launches, studying the landscapes of new planets, recording the music of Mars. Quark, I bet you end up being a sports scientist running training sessions for astronauts. I just wish I knew what I wanted to do. I love it here at Deep Space High, but I don't really have a favourite lesson. Not all jobs are things you learn at school. Some are fields of study that you might only find out about when you're older. Come on, let's go on a whistle-stop tour of some of them. Computer sim, let's show them. Um, we're in a courtroom. That's right, my lord. Uh, You could be a space lawyer, interpreting laws to help everyone agree how we should behave in space. Or helping to protect planets from human contamination. Or maybe deciding what the rules are when rescuing stranded astronauts. (laughs) 
I hope that looks expensive. The test rocket crashed. Uh, crashing rockets isn't a job I'd want. Launching rockets into space is risky and expensive. People called space insurers look at what the risks are and provide financial cover in case anything goes wrong. It can be quite exciting. You might have to visit the factory where the space vehicle is being built and also attend its launch. Right, what's next? Okay, zip your coats up, it's gonna get chilly. Forecasting the weather is of vital importance to spacecraft launches. If it's too stormy or the clouds are too thick, the rocket could be at risk. You could work as a meteorologist, Sam, using data from satellite radar and weather stations to make forecasts. As long as I could do it indoors. That doesn't surprise me. Okay, anyone hungry? Whoa! These are the packets of food astronauts take into space. Can we try them? Go ahead. Not bad. Tastes like chocolate milkshake. Many, many people and jobs are behind those little packets. Nutritionists work to ensure astronauts are getting the vitamins and minerals they need. Chefs will develop recipes that taste good in space. Food scientists will come up with ways to make the packets last for a long time. And designers will make packaging light and easy to use with no crumbs. Can I have another one? No time. And if you study medicine when you're older, there's a wealth of jobs in space for you. Everything behaves differently in space, whether plant life or animal life, including the human body. Space medics study the differences to help experiments run smoothly and to keep everyone in space in good health. Computer, back to class. Predicting weather sounds cool, but I like food. It would be cool to... Ah, I just don't know. It doesn't really matter if you don't know for sure. You've plenty of time to think about it. And things change every year. There'll be jobs in space in the future that we can't even imagine right now. Not least as space tourism is developing. You could be an air steward on a space plane, sell space holidays, or run a theme park on theatre. <laughs> now that sounds cool. Finally. And that means we've reached the final lesson. Well done, everyone. Class dismissed. Deep Space High, space for all. With support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash space. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Back with another Deep Space High episode, Space for All, at the same time next week. Thank you for listening. If you have anything science that you want answered on the podcast for next week, leave it as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. We've got loads of brilliant podcast series and tons more over on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. You can get bonus episodes by subscribing to Fun Kids Podcast Plus 2. Loads of bonus episodes of this show, by the way, with even more of your questions being answered. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!